When I think about uh, how I used to communicate, the word nag comes to mind. <laughs> Welcome to episode 56 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Spencer. He used the donation button on our website. Thank you, Spencer, for your generous contribution. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Do you have trouble communicating your needs and feelings to your loved ones? Do your attempts to ask for what you want always degenerate into an argument? How have you learned to communicate better in this program? Stick around, because today we're going to talk about communication. Before we begin, we would like to state that though we at The Recovery Show may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During this show, we will share our own experiences as they relate to the topic of communication. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer, and I will be your host today. Joining me is co-host Maria. How are you today, Maria? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, enjoying the little bit of sunshine we got today. So. Isn't that nice? Yeah. Like, yeah. I was so happy to see that. And next to Maria is our special guest host, Misha. How are you doing? Hi, I'm doing pretty well today. It's a beautiful day, and I'm going to spend some time with family later, so can't complain. And welcome to your first experience on The Recovery Show. Thank you. The first segment of today's episode of The Recovery Show will be our discussion of the topic communication. Following a musical break, we will talk about our lives in recovery, about what's happening in the meetings we attend and in our lives. We will follow that with your email or voice contributions and some brief news about the podcast before closing with another music musical break. And uh, Maria has a reading for us. Um, this is from Courage to Change. Uh, what date? Um, from November 9th. <clears throat> and so it says, We humans are wonderfully adaptable. We find creative solutions to impossible situations. One coping skill that some of us develop is manipulating other people in order to get what we want. Alcoholism can create such a threatening environment that manipulation seems necessary. Today, with the help of Al-Anon, we are learning to do more than merely survive. And such manipulation becomes unnecessary and un unacceptable. In Al-Anon, we learn healthier ways to meet our own needs and to behave towards others. Manipulation had been a normal part of my life for so long that I forgot how to have a discussion or make a straightforward request. If I wanted someone to do the dishes, I tried to make them feel guilty by telling them how much I had done for them, or I complained that they never did their part. It never occurred to me that I could simply and politely ask for what I wanted, or that I could accept my request being turned down. But I'm learning. A day at a time, I'm learning. Okay, thank you. And uh, as I said, my name is Spencer. We're going to talk about communication. And we got an email from Shelley that I thought might uh, help to uh, to get us started, uh, at least to get us motivated. Shelley said, Hi, Spencer and guests. I came across your podcast over the holidays. I'm very grateful for all the sharings, as the holidays seem to magnify challenges with those we love with addictions. Something I'm really struggling with is communication. So I'm looking forward to your podcast on this topic. Not only do I struggle with my spouse, but adult children and siblings. It seems the more I try to keep communication lines open and calm, the more manipulating I feel comes from these family members. And I feel I am the one that is at fault. Very frustrating when I'm the only one working on recovery. Some days just seem very overwhelming, listening to your sharings, and when I can get out to my L&M meetings, I'm reminded that I am never alone. The tools are there to be used. I need to make it a priority. With my program, there's definitely hope. Keep up the good job, and thank you for all for sharing your experience, strength, and hope, Shelley. And uh, so I thought I'd start out um, by 
reflecting on how we used to communicate in relationships, particularly maybe in relationships with the alcoholics or addicts in our life uh, before we came into the program. And maybe, Maria, could you start? Sure. Um, <clears throat> sure. So, um, yeah, before I came into the program, I, I think like a lot of things, I thought I was fine. <laughs> and then once I came into the program, I kind of looked back and went, oh, uh, not not so good, huh? Um, so yeah, I mean, looking back, I can see that before the program, my communication really wasn't that healthy. Um, <clears throat> it would sort of vary depending on who I was trying to communicate with and what the situation was, but I was pretty, um, I, I was pretty hesitant to speak up if I had something that I needed to say or that, um, something I needed and I kind of wanted everyone else to just read my mind and provide for me whatever, I needed, and so then I'd get mad at them when they didn't, because, you know, why wouldn't they? If they loved me, they would, you know, take care of whatever it is that I needed, and they should just know <clears throat> what that is. So, um, you know, that was part of it. And then also, uh, when I came into the program, I was living with active, ac active alcoholism, and that was, um, as we all know, a huge challenge. Um, <clears throat> and so there were just a lot of arguments happening, just really bad, just really out of control. I mean, screaming at the top of our lungs, like, uh, you know, on a near, near daily basis. Um, it, it was, it was really pretty bad. Um, and, and I mean, I knew <clears throat> even at the time I knew that that was not really okay and not a good idea, but I just didn't know what else to do. I just, I'd, I had no other tools. So yeah, it was, it was pretty bad. Mm. Misha, you have any reflections to start us off with? Yeah, when I think about uh, how I used to communicate, the word nag comes to mind. <laughs> I did a lot of nagging. Uh, I didn't realize I was doing a lot of nagging. I found myself, though, uh, just kind of repeating myself over and over, waiting for uh, my qualifier, now X, to do what I wanted her to do. Uh I would also ask a lot of questions. Why don't you? Why didn't you? Um, you should do this. Uh, and just repeating myself over and over as if that was going to help the situation, and it didn't. Um, I, too, like Maria, uh, spent some time hoping people would read my mind. Um, and I really thought that if I wanted it enough in my head, that it would just happen. Uh, the things that I would want would happen, the things that I'd want her to do or anyone to do would just magically happen. Because why couldn't they just, like, see inside my soul or something? And that never happened. Um, so, yeah, I had a lot of troubles communicating uh, and spent a lot of time communicating on what other people should do or what I wanted from other people as opposed to what I wanted for myself or how I feel. Uh, and it, it really just turned into nagging. Yeah, well, um, <laughs> a lot of similarity going on here. Um, the uh, the fighting um, that, you know, somehow um, what should have been a rational discussion um, degenerated into um, a fight and some some yelling and and repeating over and over um, 
but also at the same time, often not being explicit about what I wanted. You know, like you say, you know, you should be able to read my mind. You should know what I want. Mm -hmm. um, also, um, expecting um, my loved one to know how I was feeling, to know, um, you know, yes, I love you. I, why do I have to say it? You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> Don't you just know that? Isn't that obvious? Right. Um, I was also a dominant person in a conversation. Um, I always had to get my piece in. Um, I would, and I still struggle to some extent. Um, Alanon has taught me a lot here, but I would interrupt a lot. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, you pause for a half a second and boom, I'm in there. Or maybe you don't <laughs> even have to pause. I just start talking over you. Right. And those are all things that did not contribute to um, fruitful and pleasant uh, communication, uh, and nor effective communication, I think. Right. And in particular, um, one of the things that, that I've learned here that, that I realized after a while that I really had not been doing well is, is listening. Um, and another, another thing that I remember learning how not to do is, um, sort of asking for change without being accusing. Mm -hmm. uh, I remember in going to the friends and family program at a treatment center and they had a session about using I statements and I was like, what the heck is this? <laughs> then they wanted us to practice it with each other. Okay, so here we are. We're in this room full of strangers. This was just the friends and family. The, mm -hmm. the um, patients were off somewhere else at this point. And, and so they said, yeah, turn to the person next to you and practice some I statements. I'm like, what? <laughs> you have got to be kidding. Uh, but when I, when I thought about it and actually started using it, um, I found that it was very helpful to to think about framing things in terms of the way I feel um, and the way I react, focusing on me and not on the other person's behavior. Mm -hmm. You know, it's sort of, when you do this, I feel this way. Well, see, you can't argue with, this is the way I feel. I mean, you can argue with it, and, you know, an alcoholic will argue with anything. Right. But, <laughs> Um, but it, it doesn't, it, it ends up being much less of a, not an accusation of the other person. And so hopefully they're less defensive and hopefully you can actually have a conversation rather than, um, because that's, that's for me, it was a lot of the ways that we get it. We would get into a fight is I would say something and my loved one would take it as an accusation, as a put down, would mm -hmm. get defensive would react defensively, and we were off and running. Yep. Because mm -hmm. I would pick that rope up and just oh, yeah. go with it. You know? Oh, yeah. Um, so I, you have any further thoughts on, on those sorts of uh, issues in your life? Uh, you were smiling at me, Misha. You got some more to say? <laughs> I just, I'm just rehashing a lot of the conversations, well, I'll just call it, that I used <laughs> to have. And uh, my motives, it, it Thinking about communication and how I know of it now, I can definitely say that my motives or my intentions were not necessarily to communicate. Mm. They were to mm -hmm. control. Oh, yeah. uh, and, uh, of course, we are talking about this because we know that the way we used to do things, or at least the way I used to do things, did not work. Um, but... 
and I also was the dominant uh, kind of person in the house, even though I didn't want to be, but that's a whole nother uh, podcast. <laughs> um, you know, I wasn't a good listener. I just drilled and drilled and drilled. And no matter what she said, I, I would, would even manipulate what I heard and relay it back to her. Um, I just I just tried to control everything by by my statements and the I statements as I know now are everything. They were nothing. It was you. It was always you. <laughs> you statements. Yeah. You statements. Right. You always. Mm -hmm. You never. Right. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh man, I remember those. And I and and the thing is, I remember how I feel when I'm on the other end of those statements, but mm -hmm. I would still go ahead and use them. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, because I didn't. I think I didn't know a different way to do it. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Um, yeah, yeah, Maria. Yeah, I'm doing a lot of nodding over here as you guys are talking. <laughs> like, uh huh, yep, been there, done that, all of that. Um, yeah, I mean, just yeah, the nagging. I I hear you on that um, one, Misha. Um, and yeah, I think I I agree. Like, I think I a lot of what I was saying was not really about communicating at all. It was just about, you know, controlling. Mm -hmm. Like, why can't you do things my way? Why? Why? <laughs> you know, why did you do it that way? Why wouldn't you have done this? Like, why did you do that? <laughs> I, re I remember somebody in the program saying to me once, like, when it, she, she noticed whenever she gets into why, like, why would you do that? Why would you say that? Why would you, you know, that's like when she knows she's losing it and it's just, it's just going nowhere. Right. Um, yeah. Um, so yeah, like a lot of those problems just, um, and, and it's funny because in, I feel like in other relationships with like people other than my alcoholic, I'm a really good listener. <laughs> and I, and I feel like I, you know, in, in some ways I had been good at communicating, but then somehow once the alcohol was introduced into the situation, <laughs> everything just went completely downhill there and like i even though i could listen really well to other people i just couldn't even hear what this person had to say to me anymore and i have to wonder i know for me um sort of resentment and anger about the whole situation would come into that oh, yeah. and mm -hmm. would would help help is well okay, help to <laughs> shut down um my listening mm -hmm. um, i don't i don't want to hear what you have to say mm -hmm. you're 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 bad. You're wrong, and I'm not listening, even though I'm sitting here with my ears open. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And I think um, I think for me also a big part of the problem was that I'd get all mentally wound up and emotionally involved, and and then I couldn't communicate well. Um, whereas with other people, where things were calm, like then I could I could listen and be receptive and whatever. But in the moment when I'm like so angry, like I I just there are things totally. I know I should be doing and or not doing, and I can't help it. I just go ahead and do them anyway, mm -hmm. or or I did, and I mean I yeah. still do to some extent, but I hopefully less now. <laughs> progress, yeah, progress. progress, not perfection, right? Yeah. Um, we have um, uh, Adrian wrote to us with some thoughts about communication, and it might be um, an appropriate time to read that. And uh, Misha, could I ask you to read what Adrian wrote? Yeah, sure thing. All right, Adrian wrote, "I'm a." Let me get this a little closer here. I'm a writer, and even with all I've learned over the years about understanding an audience and figuring out how to communicate a message or information, my attempts to have crucial conversations with my loved ones 
have most often been complete disasters. I've struggled to communicate with many of my family and friends, but I've had the most trouble communicating with my partner and parents in the past. Asking for what I wanted or expressing how I felt almost always ended in a misunderstanding or argument. Expressing my needs was always hard. That inner child, the one with abandonment issues and low self-esteem, always whispered to me that I didn't deserve to have my needs met and insisted that if I asked for much, people would just walk away. Before I got into the program, I brought fear, assumptions, and expectations into every important conversation. Add my need to be right, my desperate desire to be acknowledged, and my investment in the outcome of the conversation, and what could possibly go wrong here. (laughs) In the program, I've learned the following. I have the right to express my needs. It's a healthy part of taking care of myself. I must first question my perceived needs. Sometimes they turn out to be wants that come from an unhealthy, needy place. Is this a conversation I should pursue, or should I be having a heart-to-heart with myself or my higher power instead? Prior to important conversations, it helps me to meditate or have quiet time beforehand or to pray and ask my higher power for a clear and open mind. I can control only my own actions and attitudes. I can't force someone to seeing things my way. If they disagree with me or don't seem to hear me at the moment, it's okay. I'll do my best to communicate fairly and honestly, but the outcome of the conversation is not mine to decide. I can't assume I know what another person is thinking. I'm almost always wrong, and people don't always say what is on their mind. Maybe they don't know how. I can't take it personally. Deepak Chopra said, All disagreements are results of misunderstanding someone else's level of consciousness. Listen, if I'm caught up with what I have to say and busy making assumptions about what the other person has to say, then I can't fully listen. Sure, I may have had the conversation a million times already in my head, but this time it's for real and I need to stop the inner monologue and listen. Stop. Keep unloving words out of the conversation and try not to react emotionally at that moment. When I ask someone for the truth about their feelings or actions, some of that truth may be painful. If I'm about to react out of fear or pain, I try to stop and say nothing until that urge passes. Take a deep breath. It's more important to keep the conversation a safe place to be honest. So these are things I've learned in Al-Anon, and the other 12-step program I've been. Do I do this all the time? Heck no. <laughs> but I'm slowly incorporating these skills into my relationship toolkit. All right. Um, thank you so much, Adrian, for that. Um, it was very thoughtful. And uh, Adrian tells me that uh, she has um, started a recovery blog. Um, I'll be. I'll put a link uh, into the uh, the notes for uh, for this show at least. That'd be and, great. She yeah. had some good things to say. She does. <laughs> yeah. She does. Uh, I yeah. keep asking her to be on the show. This mm-hmm. this weekend, she was really busy in in other recovery activities, which, hey, I can't argue with that. Right, you know? yeah. Um, and I really liked um, what she had to say about important conversations. And I think that's where communication becomes really critical, mm-hmm. that if if we're having these important conversations, 
with somebody that we really care about, about something that is really important to us or meaningful to us, um, that um, applying some of the principles she talked about um, can really make a, you know, sort of make or break um, that conversation. Mm -hmm. I also try to pull these principles into other less important conversations. It, just because, you know, we're not talking about our future or whatever it might be, you know, where are we going to, where and when are we going to retire if ever or right. something like that? Mm -hmm. uh, or uh, what are we going to spend our dwindling money on or, right. you know, uh, or how are we going to stop spending our dwindling money might be a, an appropriate conversation. If we, if we're, it, but if we're just talking about what are we going to have for dinner or, Hey, how was your day? It's still important for me to listen. It's still important for me to be present in the conversation mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, because you know, I'm in a relationship and, and if I'm not invested, if I'm not paying attention in the conversation, if I'm not present in the conversation, why am I having it? Right. You know? yeah. <laughs> um, again, progress, um, definitely progress, not perfection, but right. Right. Um, you know, you have thoughts on uh, what Adrian had to say, Maria? Um, yeah, she had a lot of good stuff in here. Um, yeah. Uh, let me see. What did she have to say? Um, sorry, I'm looking, looking back over this. Um, yeah, like a lot of these things about, um, what she's learned in the program, um, having the right to express, um, our own needs and how that's a healthy part of taking care of ourselves. Um, that's definitely something that I've, I've learned too. Um, I used to just either, either assume, you know, expect other people to read my mind or I would just not mention, you know, things that felt uncomfortable, you know, it, it's kind of goes back to the people pleasing thing. Um, you know, if I have something to say that you're probably not going to want to hear, but yet it's important to me before the program, I would just never say it. And maybe I'd just avoid you or, um, you know, it, it like that kind of unhealthy uh -huh. thing. And, and now I can kind of take a deep breath and go, no, this is important. It's going to be difficult, but I need to, I need to get through this. I need to have this conversation. And, um, and, and I have a right to express myself. I have a right to my own opinions. Um, and, and my own feelings, like, as you were saying about I statements, you know, no one can really argue with, um, I mean, they can, but, <laughs> um, but it's harder to argue with a statement that I'm making about myself and how I feel or how I say something. Mm -hmm. And yeah. Misha, your thoughts? Yeah, I, I, I want to re-read re this one paragraph she said because it sums up so many things for the way I used to communicate and still that I work on uh, uh, getting better with. She said, before I got into the program, I brought fear, assumptions, and expectations into every important conversation and my need to be right my desperate desire to be acknowledged, and my investment in the outcome of the conversation, and what could possibly go wrong here. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, so, you know, I I talk a little bit about my ex, who's my qualifier, but that is in no way where the buck stops with my, uh, we'll just say, defects of character. Um, assumptions and expectations. I'm so glad that she wrote about that in... Uh, this discussion about communication. Uh, when you're manipulating, when you're trying to control a conversation, 
when when I'm trying to control a conversation, I find that a lot of it is based on fear, <laughs> assumptions, and expectations. Um, I'm expecting you to do something for me and or for yourself, and I shouldn't do that. But more importantly, all that does for me is bring on disappointment. Uh, I talk a lot in 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 the meetings that I that I attend about uh, telling stories, uh, making up the way things were, are, or are going to be. Um, it's all assumption and it's all fear based and. Uh, my reaction to other people from telling these stories and having these assumptions is to is to try to control. Uh, I try to control things to protect myself. Um, it is definitely a desperate desire to be acknowledged. I mean, validation is at least used to be everything. Uh, and I'm doing so much better with that. But it's it's so curious how all of that is kind of um, intertwined, you know. Uh, that that part really stuck out for me. I I struggled with that in the past, and and I I still do. I still have to keep myself in check. I still have to work my program. I still have to remind myself uh, that I'm only in control of my uh, my actions and attitudes. Yeah, and so what I what I thought about there also is even now I'm going to bring what did she say assumptions, expectations, and fear um, into these conversations. But there are some differences. One is that I can be aware. Mm-hmm. I can be aware that I have fear. I can be aware that I'm making assumptions. I can be aware that I have expectations, and I can try to work past them in the conversation. Um, one of the things that has sometimes been helpful to me in conversations with uh, my my wife where we are far enough apart that we sort of are not hearing each other mm-hmm. um, is to have um, a neutral third party. Mm-hmm. Um, and in in most of the conversations that where we've done this, it has been her therapist. Right. Who I trust, and and I've talked to you know I've talked to some people about this. Maybe you could talk about it together with your therapist and or his therapist or her therapist, and and often the response is, well, I don't trust that person to not take you know the other person's side, and that's a legitimate you know that's a legitimate uh, uh, um, concern. Right. Uh, you know, in in the case of her therapist, uh, my experience has been that that she does very well at staying. Staying neutral, uh, encouraging, and allowing each of us to state our feelings, uh, and to the extent sometimes of, of of squelching the other person when they try to interrupt. Right. <laughs> um, and uh, so it's when for really painful conversations, for really difficult conversations, that has been a helpful tool for me, and it's not something that I ever. It would usually be, um, she says, we need to talk to, you know, we need to talk with, with so-and-so, with my therapist. And my reaction would be, oh, do I have to? I really don't want to. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, 
And I think part of that reaction was, I really don't want to have this conversation. That's part of my communication strategy, uh, or my non-communication strategy, I should say, <laughs> right. is, is running away from conversations I don't want to have. Mm. Uh, and, uh, you know, I've learned that, that not everybody is that way. Some people want to dive right into those conversations, mm -hmm. like, not me. No, sir. No, thank you. Um, <laughs> okay. Um, you know, we had another um, listener write in, um, Akila, maybe, uh, Maria, maybe you could read uh, Akila's email. Sure. Um, Akila writes, greetings, Spencer, Spencer and other esteemed hosts. Loved the tradition topic last week. I'm a big fan of the tradition, so I'm glad you're planning to explore them this year. As for this week's topic, one of the very first things I learned in Al-Anon is how to listen to the people around me. Before program, I was always listening for what I expected people to say, and not to what they actually said. So I would often answer questions that weren't asked of me, or provide information that wasn't necessary. <laughs> I've also learned to state what it is I want and need from, other, from people, instead of expecting them to magically know or to ignore me. Growing up in an alcoholic home... I could flat out say what I wanted or needed, and the, the alcoholic's wants and needs always took precedence. So it took me quite a while in program to understand that I could state my needs and have them honored. At the same time, I am also able to listen to what my daughter says she wants and needs and honor that as well. Within reason, of course, I am still the adult. Participation in meetings and program literature also helped me be a better listener and communicator. The meetings I attend don't allow crosstalk, cross so we have to listen to someone until they're finished speaking and we don't give advice. I was able to pick up the not giving advice thing pretty quickly in my life outside of meetings, and what a difference that made. I wasn't able to jump on the no crosstalk train in my personal life until I read something in the OA, Overeaters Anonymous magazine, a few months ago about how nice it is that meetings allow us to share without anyone making sarcastic comments. So ever since then, I make an effort to let the people in my life say their piece without interrupting with snide and sarcastic comments, because yes, that is what I love about meetings. And also, if I appreciate that in meetings, I'm sure my daughter, family, and friends would appreciate that same kind of interaction in real life. It has really made a difference in my day-to-day -day interactions with my daughter, as well as how I relate to my friends. It took me two years in 12-step programs to get that, by the way. Progress, not perfection, right? That's how Al-Anon and OA have helped me today. Thanks. And thank you, Akila. And, uh, um, and those, are, those are two big ones for me, clearly. Um, Listening and not interrupting. I think I, I spoke about that before. Um, and, you know, learning, learning to do that in a meeting was, I, I don't know how else I, I could have learned it, but the, the meeting sort of forced me to listen and not interrupt. It forced me to think about what I was going to say because I only got one chance to speak. Uh, and, and so I couldn't just come back and come back and come back. Uh, and uh, so I learned that behavior there, and it, it, I still haven't applied it perfectly in, in my personal life, but sort of the next place that I really started practicing it was uh, when I became a sponsor. Oh. And uh, I can say that it, in my opinion, I did not do it uh, perfectly at the beginning. <laughs> and who does? I still don't do it perfectly. Uh, but that when I was listening to uh, one of my sponsees talk, to really let them finish what they were saying um, to, and then um, the other, the other thing that really hard for me is to is sort of not then respond with sort of my, my story, <laughs> you know, Oh, that's a really interesting story. Let me tell you about the time that, you know, <laughs> um, I mean, sometimes that maybe sometimes that's useful, but I think uh, 
I, I feel now like a lot of the times that it doesn't, it doesn't contribute to what we're there for. Uh-huh. Um, and I guess that's, that's another thing that's important to me now in, in, in communicating is to remember what this conversation is about, why we're there. Uh, you know, if it's a social conversation, it's one thing. Um, if it's meeting with a sponsee, it's another thing. If it's having, uh, you know, as, as Adrian says, an important conversation <coughs> with a loved one in my life, that's, that's yet a different thing. And I may apply these principles differently in those conversations, although I'll try to, you know, even in a social conversation, I, I, I don't want to be the person that always has to come back with, you know, my one-up story on top of your story. Oh. <laughs> uh, and that is certainly the person that I used to be. I always had to have a story about whatever it was you said. I had to have a story I could come back with. Or, I don't know, I guess I didn't feel worthwhile or something. I'm not mm. sure. Um, your thoughts about Akilah's uh, share there? Yeah, I I like that she brought in the traditions. Uh, so Al-Anon has definitely taught me how to deal with um, the addicts in my life. But that's not the only people, you know, that I deal with. Uh, I don't live in a house and never leave and speak with other people. So I can carry the principles from this program, from the steps and the traditions into places where I am the most, and that would be at work. Um, I work with, uh, uh, with people. <laughs> with people. <laughs> with hey, people. Go figure. Go figure. <clears throat> um, you know, like 10 or so people, and uh, communication is so important there. Um, I am a manager now, but I still, well, not still, I guess now it's more important than ever that I make sure that I am trying to practice these principles. Um, I have to be able to communicate with my uh, my employees. I have to communicate with my boss. I have to be able to state what I need uh, and also hear what they need. Um, there's a lot of times at work especially where I hear things or other people's actions. Um, like I'm, I'm really, I can take them personally um, and react to them. And the thing about Al-Anon is it, it teaches me to not take things personally. Um, I can hear what and listen to what other people say because it is true for them um, without it necessarily being true for me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, another thing that occurs to me in a, in a work situation, particularly as a manager or supervisor, is that there are expectations on what, an employee does. I mean, there's expectations on what you do right. that are set presumably by your boss or by your, the organization you work for. There's expectations on what your subordinates do that you have a part in setting. Mm-hmm. Um, and clearly stating expectations in that context helps to um, avoid uh, misunderstandings and conflict, I think, later on. Mm-hmm. Have you found that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh you know, we, we have these goals that we have to plan out and, and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And initially, n- no one wants to do that. At least I don't want to. I don't want to go through appraisals and all that kind of thing. <laughs> but, but there is something to be said for them. And that's that we can communicate to others, you know, the expectations of the job, like you were mm-hmm. saying. 
Um, because I can easily just want people to do things at work and not tell them that. And, you know, the same kind of battle that I had with the, the addicts in my life, you know, expect them to be able to read my mind and why don't they know they're supposed to be doing this. And if I don't communicate to them, they won't know. Um, yeah. Um, I, I recently, I think I talked about this briefly last week, but I recently had my annual, um, performance assessment or evaluation or review or whatever word you want to put on it. All right. Um, you know, it's, it's where your boss uh, does your fourth step and reads you your fifth step. Basically. Um, <laughs> and, and for two years in a row, the top issue that he has identified for me has been communication mm. that, that he felt I have been um, below his expectations. And he admits that his expectations are pretty high. Um, but given the role that I play in the organization as one of the people involved in planning what we do and in one of the people I've been there as long as anybody else in the organization. And so also having a, a fairly deep understanding of what the organization does, um, it's important. He feels it's important. And I agree that, that I be able to uh, communicate clearly and effectively and that, other people feel that they can uh, come to me with questions that they might have. And one of the issues that, that I've, that I've had in the past and that I continue to have to some extent is a uh, sort of controlling my um, controlling anger, um, not reacting out of anger. Um, that got away from me a couple times this year in public settings. And, mm. you know, I had to, I had to make amends uh, both times, but, and then I had to make amends again at the end of the year to my boss, uh, who, uh, it, in at least one of those cases, uh, the person who was on the, the, the other end of my anger came to him. Uh, and I was like, yeah, okay. Uh, and, and I, you know, I agreed that was inappropriate. I talked about the steps that I had taken with the other person to, um, I didn't say the words make amends, but to make amends to, to resolve and to, you know, figure out how to go forward in a different way. Um, because, um, this person had certain behaviors that were triggering me and, uh -huh. and we had to sit down and basically talk about, you know, here's, here's how, here's how I'm feeling when you say the things you say. And that's part of why I reacted the way I did, which the reaction was not appropriate. The reaction was out of line, but you know, this is, this is what was going on in my head and that helped. And, and having, having program to teach me how to do that, um, was was really helpful, um, but I think there's some other things going on here that that I need to continue to look at, and and one of those um, is a nonverbal communication. So if somebody comes over me to ask me a question, and I continue staring at my screen, reading my email, <laughs> typing, um, kind of like yeah, okay, what, and and then you know I'm back to the screen. I'm not engaging that person. That person feels I'm not maybe interested in what they have to say, right. or I'm really resenting them interrupting my work and and i'm i'm trying to be more observant of that part of my you know because in my head i'm listening to them i'm probably taking their question i'm going to start to look up whatever you know something mm -hmm. about what they're asking me in their head i'm not paying attention right mm. um you know i get this i get this um at home too <laughs> <laughs> uh, i immediately you know 
start to go to the solution before I finish listening to the request. And, and I get pushback. Right. Um, but maybe some of the people at, at work don't feel confident that they can give me pushback. Maybe I'll, you know, lash out. I'm like, I have, have, have done a few times in the past. And so, um, you know, his point was, I need to be the person that people can come to with questions and I need to work on behaviors that are um, inhibiting that from happening. Uh, and it's really hard to pull out for me to pull out concrete examples of where people aren't coming to me. Right. Mm -hmm. Cause if they're not coming to me, I don't see it. Right. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, so that's, that's something that, that is one of the focuses that, that I'm looking at um, at work. I also have been thinking, and this is something that sometimes comes up at work or, or just wherever. But um, another thing I'm learning to do in the program is to kind of address problems as they come up instead of mm. waiting and pretending everything's fine for a really, really long time and not saying anything. So everyone thinks everything's fine and then just like blowing up as soon as <laughs> I can't take it anymore. And then people are like, where is this coming from? Like, what's the deal? Because they haven't heard anything about it so far. Mm. And, you know, and the longer I've been in this program, I feel like it's more fair to people to let them know um, <clears throat> early on if there's an issue, so it can be resolved before it gets out of hand, before it gets to be a big deal and before I'm like really, really mad about it or, you know, because a lot of times a lot of things really aren't that big a deal, but I just have this people pleasing, you know, fear of like, well, what if they don't like me if I say what I need or, or ask them to do something a different way or whatever it is. And so, so I feel like it's more fair to the other person to speak up, um, speak up earlier and then things can just be dealt with. I think that's that's something. Um, another thing is uh, that I've learned is just um, just during during arguments or any difficult conversation, just realizing that I have choices, um, <clears throat> realizing that I don't have to pick up the rope. Um, we, we talk about this rope a lot, so you know, if anyone's not familiar with the uh, yeah, let's just remind people about the rope. Somewhere there's something about. Um, how an argument is like a tug of war and, you know, one person is pulling on the rope and then, you know, they throw you the other end of the rope and the natural instinct is to just pick up that rope and start tugging. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, I've learned in al that you don't have to pick up the rope. They can throw it to you and you can just let it sit there and go, oh, okay, so you're doing this thing with the rope. All right, well, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not going to do it. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to participate in that. And so that's been huge to realize that, I don't have to engage um, if someone is trying to, you know, engage me in some sort of battle of whatever. Um, or the other thing that, you know, sometimes it's too late and I've already picked up the rope by the time I think about it. And then I realize, wait, I can just set it down. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I can just, we're in the middle of this argument, but we don't have to be arguing. I can just stop right now. Um, so it's just, it's really liberating to realize that I have choices. Um um, and, and another thing is just kind of remembering that the, the Al-Anon pause, um, you know, just realizing, uh, maybe things have gotten too heated and I, and this isn't a good time to be talking about it because, you know, maybe I'm in, uh, this, you know, there, there's another acronym that we have that's HALT. Um, so, you know, if I'm hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, you know, I might not be thinking clearly. I might be a lot more likely to say something I'm going to regret later. Um, yeah, and, you know, I was yeah. at a meeting yesterday, I think, and, and somebody was talking about halt and said, you know, for me, T could also be triggered. 
I was like, ooh, mm. ooh, like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. If I'm triggered, uh, maybe I need to pause here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I like to add cold to that just because I, <laughs> yeah, somehow, or or I've heard people say, you know, just generally uncomfortable yeah. for so, whatever, too hot, too cold, triggered, whatever it is. I just sh- realizing, oh, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. I switch out uh, achy for angry. Uh. <laughs> Pain, for sure. <coughs> yeah. So as you were talking about saying, well, way I could put the rope down, thinking about there, there's a skill that I think I certainly have had to learn. I'm still learning about how to put the rope down mm. um, because my, my past behavior, how do you end an argument? How do you end an argument? Well, you, you know, you, you, you yell, walk out and slam the door uh, that would be my solution to quote ending an argument in the past. Um, that's it's not really effective. It doesn't really end. It doesn't really. It's it's just I'm I'm like taking the rope and going home or something. <laughs> 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 um, and and so being able to say something like, "Wow, I'm really not able to have this conversation right now." Um, I need to go cool off. Uh, I need to just go have some time by myself. I, I, I do want to continue this discussion, but not right now. Yeah. Something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just for me, just even realizing that that's an option was huge yeah. because yeah. I always felt like I'm upset about something. We have to solve it right now, mm-hmm. and there's no there's no other option because I'm upset. And yeah. it's like you know sometimes I when I realize that I'm in that like halt kind of state, I it's. Um, you know, I can get to a point where like anything I say is just going to make it worse and I need to just stop, just, just leave the room, stop talking, whatever, as much as possible. Um, (laughs) actually, um, you know, another thing about stopping talking, that was sort of one of my first Al-Anon tools was, um, realizing that like a lot of the things that I was trying to say to my alcoholic were controlling, judgmental, you know, why'd you do this? Why'd you do that? Why, why haven't you done this yet? You know, whatever. And, and, um, just kind of realizing that powerlessness of like, I can only control me. I can't control the other person and I shouldn't be trying to control the other person. And so I'd have, you know, my early days in Al-Anon, I'd have all these urges to say things that I knew weren't helpful. Mm-hmm. And I'd be like, oh, you know, in my head, I'd be, I'd want to say, you know, why did you do that? And I, but I knew it wasn't a good idea. And so I kind of trying to stop talking, saying what was on my mind, like, it's still on my mind, but if I don't say it out loud, it'll make, it'll be better. And so I kind of had this vision of like mental duct tape. And so I'd be, you know, in some kind of situation that'd be driving me crazy and I'd want to say all these negative things and I'd just be like, mm, duct tape, it's on my mouth, I can't talk, I just can't, don't say it. Wow, okay. <laughs> um, by the way, the uh, um, little bit about the tug of war and picking up the rope is in the book How <coughs> Elanon Works. Uh, it's on page 30 in the section titled, get this, Recognizing Our Options. Ooh. And I think you used exactly those words, recognizing oh, yeah. options. Hey. Um, yeah. So uh, that's so that's good. where it is. Um, and, I, I do want to say, I, I'm so glad you brought up the, the pause button, because it timing can be everything. Mm-hmm. And I think Adrian touched on it in her note about knowing your audience. Um, there's a time to have 
a conversation. When your alcoholic comes home trashed, that may not be a good time <laughs> to let's sit down and talk about our lives. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's definitely a time. And, and even though, you know, you really want to say at that time, let's talk about our lives it you can't you can't well, you uh, can but it just won't go well right right you could <laughs> but you really but just yeah. you know wasting your breath mm-hmm. uh so it's it's so important to be able to know that you can just hit pause you can sit with your thoughts usually sitting with my thoughts helps me to um to be a little bit clearer with what i want to say uh and as opposed to how can I control more like how can I just express how I feel? Um, so yeah, that pause button is so huge. Yeah. It's definitely huge for me. Um, so one of the things that, that I just thought, well, I've been thinking off and on and never remembering at the right time. We've talked about the I statements a few times and it might be helpful for those of us, uh, those who are listening who maybe are not clear on, on what an I statement is. So I was going to give an example, um, and the one that, that I came up with is actually not uh, from my personal life. It's one of my sponsees called me. He was upset that his his daughter had forgotten his birthday. She was going out with friends or something like that and not spending time with him. And he felt like, you know, she should have remembered it was his birthday and she should have been there with him. And, and how was he going? And, 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 you know, he called me. How am I going to have this conversation with her to say that, that, you know, she heard it. And what I said was, here's a, here's a suggestion of how to have, how to start that conversation, which is that I felt hurt that you did not remember my birthday. Um, because, you know, it was important to me to, to, to have that recognition. And there was more going on besides just the birthday there. Um, but that's that's the the thing that instead of saying you did this thing to me, uh-huh. that's the you statement. That's that's the the way I I, I would have wanted to do it in the past. You know, <laughs> um, you really embarrassed me when when you were sloppy drunk at the party. Okay, <laughs> just pick a random example. <laughs> right, um, very common random. <laughs> um, I can say um, I felt. I felt really embarrassed last night um, when you drank too much at the party. Um, and I don't like to feel that way. And I'm not asking for anything. I'm not, I'm not saying you always get drunk at parties. It helps a little. <laughs> That's a tough one. I mean, that particular example is a really tough one because, you know, they're, they're, they're going to be, the other person's going to be defensive no matter how you bring that topic up. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. You guys got, uh, Maybe examples, uh, an example of how you have used I statements in your conversations. Well, I'm, I'm glad we're talking about I statements. Um, before, when I used you statements, it's it's very clear that I was uh, judging. I was, I was, I'm judging you. Mm. I'm judging you, and I'm gonna just just basically just rip you to shreds with my judgment because the way I feel is the way it is cl- clearly. Um, but being able to see, say I, um, it's not, you're not accusing someone. You're not saying, you know, you suck because this, 
it's uh, it's kind of keeping my side of the street clean, which is another thing I hear in the program. Um, yeah, I've got a, actually got a better example. I think uh, uh, my my loved one suffers also from depression, and so mm-hmm. um, you know she expresses this feeling sometimes. And there was a long time when she would be, you know, expressing her bleakness of the the season. It's it's dark, it's cloudy, it's gray, it's awful. And I would react with anger. Mm. Uh, and then I, I came to see that that anger was coming out of fear, uh, fear that, you know, she gets too depressed, she's going to act out on it and, and hurt herself or something like that. And And so then I'm able to turn that into an I statement, which is, when you say these things, you know, it's never going to get better. I am afraid. Mm-hmm. I'm afraid that, that you might decide to hurt yourself or something. And that can be and has been a much better conversation than don't say that. <clears throat> don't say that. I don't like to hear you say that. Don't say that. Right. Um, <laughs> uh, it, and I may or may not get... I know I'm not going to get her to not say it ever, but um, at least I'm able to get that feeling that I was stuffing out, and that helps me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also uh, helps both of us by not having the don't say that conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been on the other side of that. I, uh, I've i suffered with depression for a long time in my life, and um, I've been in relationships where... Uh, I've, I've been that person, you know, basically everything sucks and, uh, and wanting my partner to come and be there and help me. Um, so it's just interesting that you're bringing that up because I can think about, I can go directly back to that time and, and realize that I wasn't communicating my needs. I wasn't saying I am sad or I don't feel good or I feel hopeless can you please just comfort me? I would like you to just sit here with me, maybe hold me. I didn't say those things. I just, you know, the more I wanted it, the more I would get more depressed. I mean, uh, it definitely can work both ways with that. Uh, Wanting something from somebody and also wanting someone to want something from me. Yeah, yeah, and that... I think you're right, and I think that that brings up another another fear, which is I can't fix it. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe that's not fear; that's that's a feeling of helplessness. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're really sad, and I can't fix it. And so, your example there is is wonderful. You know, that say, just come, you know, come sit with me, be with me, hold me, hug me, whatever. That would give me something I could do, right? And that would reduce my fear, my feeling of helplessness. Right. Um, so that's, that's, that's great. Uh, thank you for saying that. <laughs> uh, we need to, to wrap up here. Any um, final thoughts about maybe how uh, the al program that you haven't already said, or maybe wrapping up, uh, summarizing how the al program is helping you or your whatever 12-step program you might be in <coughs> is helping you to uh, communicate better or how that's improving um, you know, your life today. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I wanted to go back to the reading. Actually, I had picked this reading because it had, 
had really kind of spoken to me early on in my program. I had, I think I had just gotten this book and had been the, the courage to change book and had been reading through the readings every day um, for a few weeks when I came across this one that we read today. Um, and I really related to it. Um, and then shortly after, um, I related to this idea of, um, well, and I didn't think I was manipulative at all, <laughs> but then I was looking at the examples going, well, gee, I do that. I do that too. Whoops. Maybe yeah, I neither. am more manipulative than I think I am. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, just realizing that I had that somehow just asking directly for what I want seemed unsafe. And so I was relying on manipulation or trying to guilt or shame people into doing what I wanted them to do or complaining and that, that might get them to do it. And it's like, I'd forgotten that I could just ask. Um, and, and this, so this reading was kind of instrumental for me in one of my first Al-Anon breakthroughs, which, um, so I had been in the program a few months and was living with active drinking and, um, my alcoholic had knocked over, had been drinking a lot and had knocked over this floor lamp. Um, and I, you know, saw it kind of leaning over, you know, getting closer and closer to the ground, wondering, huh, when's it going to go back upright? And it just kept going down, down, and, it, and then, and it just like crashed. It was just like, boom, you know, hit the floor, shattered, broken glass all over the floor. And this was, I think this was right before Thanksgiving. And so I had been trying to get the house clean because we were going to have company and I was, really, you know, worrying about the state of the house. And then, you know, we get this broken glass everywhere. And I was just like, oh, my God, um, what do I do with this? And so I, I think I had had enough program in me at that point to realize that, or I don't know what it was. Anyway, I, I felt like, well, I didn't break this thing, so I shouldn't have to clean it up. Um, and I'm going to set this boundary. Of, I'm not going to clean it up. Um and so I think that happened early in the weekend, and we spent most of the weekend with broken glass all over the floor. And, you know, I didn't say anything, because I was trying really hard to not nag, right? And not be controlling. I didn't say anything. I was just sort of waiting for it to be cleaned up. And, uh, waiting and waiting. Waiting and waiting. <laughs> um, and then I kind of remembered this reading about, like, you know, I'd been about being manipulative and forgetting that you could just ask for what you need. And it occurred to me like, wow, what if I just, in a calm, non-accusatory way, just said, hey, you know, I'd really appreciate it if you would clean up the broken glass. And, um, and so, so I was like, you? I well, so I thought, well, um, you know, nothing else works. I might as well give this a try. <laughs> and so I kind of had this conversation where I was trying to be really civil and really polite and it was very foreign because that was just not how the relationship was going, you know, at this point. But I was trying really hard to be civil, polite, and just um, straightforward, open, and just state what I needed in a calm, non-accusatory way. And so I, I made this request and then I left at the house and I went to a meeting. Hmm. And I talked about it at the meeting that I had made this request and, you know, we'll see what happens. And People had talked to me about it after the meeting and said, well, you know, are you prepared for, you know, because just because you ask nicely doesn't mean that anyone else is going to do it. You still can't control other people, right? Yeah. So you got to be prepared for their reaction um, and that, you know, they might they might not do it and you got to be prepared for that. And I was like, okay, if they don't do it, I'll be prepared for it. But then I had this thought, well, it, 
but what if it what if it is what if it does work and then i was like wow well, that would be awesome i mean if that did work man i'm gonna go back to this Alanon place and you know we usually um there, there's usually a, a collection that goes around and um at at each meeting and you put in a dollar or two or or whatever um but so i had this this thought like if this does work Man, I'm gonna I'm gonna put twenty bucks in the pot next week. <laughs> and but I was like, but it probably won't work. But at least I was, you know, I took care of my half of this and I asked nicely and I can feel good about my own actions in this. So I went home after the meeting and my alcoholic is passed out, but the floor was clean and I was just like, Yes, this thing works, this Alanon thing, oh my god, this works. So that was that was sort of an exciting breakthrough for me, so did you put in your 20 bucks? I did. I did. <laughs> Next week, I was like, damn. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome story. You know, Alanon has taught me so much. Uh, when I think about communication, I also think about confidence and self-worth, uh, self-love. Uh, I am worth other people hearing how I feel. I'm, it's okay for me to express my feelings. It's okay for me to just speak. I mean, just flat out just to speak. Um, I think about the many times where I just held things in, kind of like Maria, you said earlier about keeping things bottled up and then exploding. Um, I would do that. And my end game wasn't to explode. My end game was, let me just not bring this up. I don't want to start conflict. You know, I don't want to seem like I'm nagging, even when I wasn't going to be nagging. Uh, you know, they don't want to hear it. I don't, you know, they're busy. Uh, and then I, and then I would just explode. Um, it's conversation and communication is not necessarily confrontation. Um, there is a difference. I can express myself uh, sincerely and without judgment and have it not be this big old fight. Um, and it it's definitely a thin line as to when to communicate and when not to. Um, sometimes it's not necessary for me to say anything. <laughs> Uh, but sometimes it is, and I, I have to rely on my higher power to kind of let me know when, uh, when I do need to express myself, when, when I do have valid, um, uh, feelings to express, or not necessarily feelings, but valid opinions to express. And I've been able to, uh, know the difference, uh, for the most part, for the most part. Um, I can be confident if I'm being sincere and if I have my higher power along with me, I can be confident that what I say is, is, is important and not necessarily going to result in some sort of backlash. Um, and if it does, then it, then it does. I can, you know, drop the rope. I can, I can kick the rope. <laughs> I can do a lot of things with that rope, but I have choices and, uh, and I've, I've gotten that from this program and, and I'm definitely so grateful for it. Wow. Thank you. Um, I think I'm just going to add that, uh, 
the main things that for me that I've been learning in Al-Anon are about listening, um, about respecting the other person in, in a communication, in, in not interrupting, not being overbearing, not dominating, and also in saying what I need, not expecting you to read my mind. Mm. Um, so we're going to take a short break with some music, and then we'll continue with our lives in recovery, where we will talk about what's going on in our lives this week, uh, what, what what we've learned in our meetings, or whatever. What I'm going to uh, listen to the song "We Can Work It Out," which is a Beatles song. The recording that I have is a, a live solo by Paul McCartney, and um, so this song was actually like just came into my head when I was thinking about communication. And then I started thinking about it a little more, and it's got this wonderful uh, pair of lines in it. Uh, you know, try to see it my way while you see it your way. There's a, a chance that our love will soon be gone. And I thought, well, that's kind of not communication, is it? But then I started thinking, well, if each of the people, each of the people in the conversation are saying this to each other, you know, try to see it my way. And not saying, you have to change your mind, but just saying, listen to what I'm saying. Then... Um, then the song becomes something about healthy communication. So let's listen. Try to see it my way. Do I have to keep on talking till I can go on? While you see it your way, and the risk of knowing that our love may soon be gone. We can work it out. We can work it out. Think of what you were saying. You can get it wrong and still you think that it's alright Think of what I'm saying You can work it out and get it straight or say goodnight We can work it out We can work it out Life is very short And there's no time For fussing Time will tell if I am right or I'm wrong Why do you see it your way? There's a chance that we might fall apart before too long We can work it out We can work it out In this section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery What's happening in our meetings and our lives this week And uh, I think I'll start to let you guys have a, a couple more minutes to compose your thoughts um, this week has been actually a difficult week for me in terms of um, getting recovery into my life, uh, getting meetings, particularly getting meetings into my life. Sunday, we had a big snowstorm here. Uh, you may recall, if you listened to the last episode, uh, uh, Maria was on the phone, partly because she was sick and partly because it was not a, a good day to be traveling. And uh, And one of my regular meetings is Sunday evening, and I had signed up to open the meeting. So I felt like I had a commitment. I really didn't expect there would be very many people there because of the weather, but I thought I should try to honor my commitment. And luckily, it's not too far from where I live. And except for the like my street, it's all uh, major thoroughfares to get there, which had been 
reasonably recently plowed, meaning maybe they only had a couple of inches of snow on them. And I got there and there were two other people there and they looked at me and they said, well, we had to be here because our husbands are in the other meeting, but why are you here? <laughs> uh, yeah. I said, well, I had a commitment, you know, I felt I had to meet my commitment. I did think about not going, but, uh, but I went. And so we had a very short meeting, uh, but we did, we, we, we didn't do like the, the opening and closing readings. Cause we're like, yeah. We've heard those how many times we don't need to read them to each other. <laughs> Although, you know, for me, it does help to frame the meeting. We did start with the serenity prayer and, uh, and it was a good meeting for, for being short. And, uh, and then I was back home. My normal Wednesday night meeting, I was not feeling well, so I didn't go. And, uh, and so, and then Saturday morning, which was yesterday, I got up and I, I woke up late and I still wasn't feeling a hundred percent. And I just didn't feel like getting up and getting a shower and getting in the car and driving to the meeting. And I knew it was the topic of the meeting was going to be step four because it, it, that meeting is a step meeting and that's the step that it was on. And I was like, do I really want to talk about step four? How do I feel about this? So I went. <laughs> uh, because we often say when you don't want to go to a meeting, that's probably when you actually really need the meeting. So I went. And I was glad I did. I actually was. It was, it was a good meeting. People had really good things to say. And, and I was able to put together some things in my head that maybe I hadn't totally put together before, um, about, well, I put together something. I think you, Maria said in our episode on families about how people don't always show their love in the way that we expect to get it. Um, I put that together with what somebody else said at the meeting and and some observations about the way that feelings that I had about the way certain people gave gifts at Christmas time. Um, like, well, yeah, I know you really like this thing, but I'm so, so totally not interested in it. Um, thank you. <laughs> um, and was, and was able to put that together and, and understand that that person is giving this gift to show love. And this is one of the ways in which this person shows their love. And that, that if I accept it in that understanding, um, then I can be, you know, really grateful to have received it. Um, it's, I mean, you know, there's that saying, it's not the gift, it's the thought. Um, and that's really what it is. That's really what it is in that case, you know? Um, but I, 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 I get to put together these like three different threads into this one, this one realization. So that, and, and at the end of my, sh you know, I start out my sharing saying I didn't want to be at this meeting, but I came anyway. And, and at the end I was able to say, but I really am grateful to be there, to be, to be here. I mean it. Um, so yeah, that was, that was my week. Um, a lot of work, work continues to be busy and stressful. Um, we did finally resolve, um, some problems with something that was supposed to be done at the beginning of the year. Um, it only took us a week and a half to actually finish it. And that felt really good um, to, to finally figure out, Oh, this is what's going on here and, and to get it, get it done. Um, and uh, to be, as I have learned in this program, to continue to be open about what was done and what wasn't done to the people who actually cared about the work getting done. I mean, I care about the work getting done, but it doesn't directly affect, you know, my, my job. It affects the things that other people are doing. So, um, 
using the program there to keep communication lines open in a situation where I'm uncomfortable about the fact that what I'm responsible is not performing in the way it needs to be performing. That's difficult for me. So um, I don't know. Uh, who'd like to go next? This week. Um, yeah, I usually go to that same meeting on Sundays, but I didn't go because of the weather. <laughs> so. and, and totally no blame here at all. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like um, most people didn't go. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, went back to work, which was a little bit odd um, in that the the roads had been terrible and a lot of people were working from home but I didn't really have a setup to work from home so I ended up going in even though um yeah there was also some issue with the building and so for for some reason for for that reason a lot of people had worked from home and so it it was not very many people actually there um so it was a little bit hard to concentrate and do what I needed to do because there's just sort of the sense of like, well, no one else is here. Why do I have to be here? I don't want to be doing this. No one else is doing this. And, you know, so it was, um, it was sort of a chance for me to like really look at myself and look at like, wow, I'm really not being responsible here for what I need to be responsible for. Um, and that's one of the things I've learned in this program is I think before I came into the program, I was super concerned about being responsible for all these things that weren't mine to be responsible about. Um, and I was, and meanwhile, I would just kind of ignore my own responsibilities, um, which was sort of what we talked about, um, on Wednesday night, I went to the meeting Wednesday and that was, uh, we talked about step one, but the, um, speaker kind of talked a little more in depth about that whole having the responsibilities completely backwards, uh, um, and I could really relate to that because I, that's something that I, I still work on, um, needing to really, you know, take responsibility for what's my responsibility. Um, but yeah, I, so it was really good to go to that Wednesday meeting. I hadn't been because of, I hadn't been in the past couple of weeks because I had been sick one week and then I had been out of town another week. So it, I think it's been like three weeks since I had been there and it was, it was really good to go back and see everybody again. And I was kind of saying hi to a bunch of people and it kind of struck me like, wow, this is so different than when I first came into the program. And I remember coming into this big meeting and not knowing anybody and everyone else seemed to know each other and they were all saying hi to each other. And I was just kind of on the outskirts and I had no real connections. And um, so it was really kind of great to to be there and realize like, wow, I've really kind of found my niche here and I have people to say hi to and, and it feels really good. Um, so yeah, that was, that was a really good meeting. Um, and then Friday, I also, I went to another meeting and we talked about, um, a reading out of Courage to Change that was about worrying and staying in the moment. And that was a good, that was a good topic. Um, I, I guess lately I've been feeling like with a lot of recovery stuff, um, like that reading in particular, I had read it in the morning and then um, I had kind of had this, like, I guess I've been in the program long enough now that I, f I feel like I kind of intellectually grasp it all. And so part of me is just kind of like, yeah, yeah, that reading. Uh-huh. Yeah, I got it. I know. I know. Whatever. I've heard it before. Uh-huh. Yep. You know, done. Um, but really, like, I, I still can't do it. <laughs> you know, I really struggle with the doing of it. And 
you know, learning to actually be in the moment instead of in my head worrying about a million other things that aren't happening right now. Like that's, that's really hard. And I, I remember to do it when I'm really panicking and, I, mm-hmm. and then it's sort of a tool that I can use to try to stop panicking, to just kind of ground myself in reality, like look around, what am I looking at? What am I doing? Try to just focus on doing that. Like, okay, I'm sitting in a chair right now. Just sit in the chair. You know, you don't have to mentally do all these other things. Um, but yeah, so it was kind of good to think about it again that day and realize like I had thought about it in the morning, forgotten about it, had thought about it briefly at lunch, forgot about it again, <laughs> and then thought about it at this meeting. And when it's like, if I were really up on it, I could just do this all day, but I really don't. I don't have that level of of grasping the concept in practice yet. I have it in theory, but I'm not in practice. So I think it's just, that's why it's, you know, it just takes years. It takes a long time. Keep coming back. Thanks. <laughs> so, yeah, that that was my week. What about you, Misha? Uh, well, I, uh, I saw you at the meetings this week. I went to the same two. And uh, it was a good week for me to pay attention in the meetings. I've been really stressed out at work, having to, I have a lot of deadlines coming up and a lot of, a lot of work. And uh, this week I found myself just being kind of whiny about it. Like I just didn't want to do it. And I just started to hate my job, which typically I do not hate my job, but I just was in like this funk and I was getting so angry. And uh, the meeting on on Wednesday was was great. It was about the first step and um, and you know admitting that we our lives were unmanageable. Granted, I went on to forget that the next two days because I chose to just be <laughs> a angry, whiny little thing. But uh, I shared at that meeting on Wednesday, and and I don't share on Wednesday that much. It's a large meeting and. Um, I have ADD. My brain goes all over the place. So, but I talked about, uh, you know, we were talking about controlling things and I, I brought up about how I don't get to control reality necessarily. Um, I don't get to control the story. Um, I have to, uh, accept how things are and accept that uh, I know the things I know, and I know the things that I don't know. Um, and that kind of helps me to, to stay, um, it helps me to stay in the moment, uh, because that's really all that I do know. And, uh, coincidentally on Friday night, the, the reading out of the, the courage to change was about staying in the moment. Uh, in regards to fear and worry. And, uh, that's something that I really try to do is just to be present. And it can be hard. Uh, as I spoke about in the meeting on Friday, sometimes the present moment isn't a fun one. Um, I'm grateful that my present moments that have sucked this week were only in regards to my job. And I mean, it could definitely be a lot worse, but, um, being in the moment that's uncomfortable is for me is just as important as it is to be in the moment when I'm enjoying something. Um, it gives me a chance to, 
uh, kind of use some of the tools that I have. Um, at work, I found that I was really uncomfortable in the moments that I was working. I didn't want to do it anymore. And um, I chose to to venture off and think about other things while I was doing it. Uh, um, it didn't take away from my work. I had I knew I was uncomfortable. I accepted that I didn't like what I was doing. I had conversations with my higher power about how I didn't like what I was doing at work, but how I knew it was going to be okay, things would be better, it doesn't last forever, kind of reminding myself that um, that uncomfortableness is only temporary, um, really helps me. Uh, and and it was temporary. I mean, I feel great right now, and I knew that I would because my higher power tells me that or shows me that all the time. Things just don't last forever. Um but being present in that moment is when I is when I learn uh, about myself, about how I deal with things. Um, so it, it it's been uh, it was a challenge Thursday and Friday at work. I go back to work tomorrow, so I'll see how I do then uh, with being present in the moment and and accepting things, but. Uh, but I, I know I just have to get through it sometimes and in any uh in any situation in my life, even if it's if it's um you know, dreadful to just uncomfortable, it uh it only lasts so long. We always have hills and valleys in in life and um I have to be present in both the ups and the downs or I won't identify them. <laughs> I'll just mm. stay this kind of flatlined and and for me that's that's not living. So um I'm definitely present in this moment and uh you know I'll just keep trying to to do that each moment. Uh and sometimes I've had to in the past say, you know, I am talking right now. I am reaching for the faucet or I am going towards the door. I mean, I've really had to like rope myself into the present moment before. Um, uh, cause it doesn't come naturally all the time, especially when you are, uh, are uncomfortable or in pain. But, uh, that, that was a definitely a good trick for me is just literally saying every single thing I'm doing. Um, so yeah, I, I, I've, I've had a, a good week with the program and learning how to navigate through my life. Uh, definitely a good week. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and I note that, uh, Julie's in the chat room here and she says great shares. We used I statements in my elementary and middle school conflict mediation program. Still works today, 15 years later. Man, I wish I'd learned that, that tool a little earlier in life, but. Yeah. Yeah, I forgot I'd I'd learned that in conflict management. Oh, okay. I had heard of it. They don't teach. They didn't teach that when I was in school. Okay. Uh, yeah, I had heard of it, and I was like, "That is so cheesy. I'm never doing that." You know. But then I eventually I got into this program and was like, "Well, you know, everything else that I had been trying wasn't working, so right. try this. Let's let's try this." Yeah. Okay. Uh, so next week. Uh, Next week, our topic will be face-to-face -face meetings. Why are they important? This was suggested by one of our listeners. And uh, we'll welcome your thoughts on this. Uh, please join the conversation as, uh, you know, Adrian and Akela did with uh, written contributions or, uh, you know, call a voicemail number and uh, and leave your thoughts 
by voice or use the uh, the button on the website, which I guess I'm getting ahead of myself here. But anyway, mm-hmm. um, so, uh, and, you know, about uh, next week topic or, uh, you know, about uh, communication, if you have further thoughts uh, spurred by, by what we had to say today. And, uh, you know, I mean, about this face-to-face meeting thing, I mean, why, why can't you just read the literature and, and, you know, go on the websites or whatever and, and listen to podcasts and open talks? And isn't that enough? <laughs> why, why do you need to actually sit down face-to-face with something? That could be really, like, scary and uncomfortable if you're, if you're not used to it. So we're going to talk about that next week. Uh, I'd love to hear what you have to think. And, Maria, how can uh, people join our conversation? Well, you can call and leave us a voicemail at 734-707-8795. Call right now, 734-707-8795. You can also use the voicemail button on the website to join the conversation from your computer. If you prefer not to use your voice, you can send email to feedback at com. We'd love to hear from you. Share your experience, strength, and hope, or your questions about today's topic of communication or next week's topic of face-to-face meetings, why are they important? If you have a topic you'd like us to talk about, let us know. And uh, Misha, can can you read uh, about the website? Our website, therecoveryshow.com, has all the information about the show, including notes for each episode, a blog with periodic meditations, and links to the music we play. We've also got some links to other recovery podcasts and websites that we like. Yeah, thanks. Okay. And uh, if you'd like to join the conversation literally, uh, consider being a guest host by phone or Skype. You can email feedback at com if you're interested. And you can listen to last week's episode about Tradition <coughs> 1, where Ruth joined us that way from Germany. And it was a, a really good experience. So uh, I'd like to do that again. So get your voice out here. Maria, um, do we have uh, any uh, f- listener feedback this week? We do, um, but first let's listen listen to Speechless by Lady Gaga. Um, so this song kind of paints a picture of how communication can be damaged in an alcoholic relationship. And I'm just going to read some lyrics here. I can't believe how you slurred at me with your half-wired broken jaw. You popped my heart seams on my bubble dreams, bubble dreams. I can't believe how you looked at me with your Johnny Walker eyes. He's going to get you, and after he's through, there's going to be lo- no lo- love left to ride. Um... And then it goes on, and then um, the refrain is, I'll never talk again. Oh boy, you've left me speechless. You've left me speechless, so speechless. I can't believe what you said to me last night we were alone. You threw your hands up, baby. your long hair and your cigarette stain light Could we fix you if you broke And there's your bunch just a joke I'll never talk again Oh boy, you've left me speechless You've left me speechless 
with your half-wide broken jaw You popped my heart seams All my bubble dreams, bubble dreams I can't believe how you looked at me With your Johnny Walker eyes He's gonna get you And after he's through He's gonna be no love left to write And I know that it's complicated But I'm a loser So we got uh, we got some email this week, along with uh, including the ones that we've already read out. Um, Emily had these uh, comments on our episode about Tradition One. She said, "Hey Spencer, we are currently under snow here where I live too, and I decided to go ahead and drive into work today rather than working at home, and had a very long commute, partly because of the snow and partly because I got halfway there and had to go back home to get my computer." <laughs> Been there, done that. Anyway, this extra long commute meant I got to listen to the Tradition One podcast in its entirety in one sitting, which was quite a treat. I love the idea of applying the traditions to our other relationships besides the Al-Anon group. This is something I thought about early on, but had sort of forgotten about. I finished working the steps for the first time a few months ago, and it occurred to me that part of working Step 12 might be to work Tradition One as a part of practicing these principles in all our affairs, and really appreciated the reminder that I might want to focus my attention in that direction. I think one of my character defects is wanting things to go my way all the time, when my way may not really be in the best interest of the group as a whole. This applies both to my family and to my work group. I loved what Maria said about how we have a responsibility to take care of ourselves, but not to the detriment of the group. Prior to the program, I definitely did not take care of myself. I was way too consumed with what the other person in my life was, other people in my life were doing, and trying to make life easier for them in order to avoid anyone else feeling uncomfortable. She says, codependent to the max. <laughs> in working the program over the last few years, my focus has definitely shifted to myself, and I do a much better job of taking care of myself. I think there are times when my focus shifts too much to myself, and I avoid being helpful to others, particularly my husband, because I don't want to fall back into my old patterns. I think I need to consider shifting the focus back to being helpful to the group in some ways, which is not exactly the way I am currently living, but also very different from the way I started out. Wow, that was a lot longer than I intended. Thank you so much for working the traditions. I assume the plan is to work a tradition per month, sort of like you did with the steps last year. If that isn't the plan, I hope you would consider doing that. Focusing on the traditions is such a great exercise. Thanks for all you do, Emily. And and yes, Emily, that's that's the plan. Because <laughs> um, I I just you know I felt like I got so much out of doing that discussion about the tradition i got a lot more out of it than than i thought i was going to sometimes i go into these things like oh i don't know what we're going to talk about it's going to be a 15 minute podcast <laughs> it never is okay <laughs> uh yeah so uh misha maybe you could read the one from carla all right uh let's see carla wrote about that episode i'm just listening to the episode now i remember well the incident you referred to about cell phone use, Spencer, it was trusting the process. That story helped me grow in compassion, acceptance, and tolerance towards my fellow members. I appreciated a lot Ruth's a lot of Ruth's participation. Thank you, Ruth. Since I'm in another country also, it helped me feel that we are all internationally involved. I would love to read a tradition out loud in Spanish soon, 
for all of you. Thank you, Spencer and Maria, for your service. Love, Carla. And thanks, Carla. Carla's been a, a listener for quite a while, and, and we always appreciate hearing from her. And uh, Maria, we got one more from uh, an anonymous listener. Okay. Um, this person wrote, Hello, I am a grateful recovering addict in SA that gets a great deal out of your show. My wife, however, told me she cannot listen because she has so much anger that Al-Anon's were not betrayed sexually. I responded with acceptance and did not push the issue, but then I wondered. In the big book, third edition, page 106, says to Al-Anon's, sometimes there were other women, quote. It struck me that very possibly most Al-Anon's have also been sexually betrayed by a pornography use or affairs committed by their addict. I regret if this email is triggering, and forgive the personal nature of this inquiry, but I am writing to ask if this is the case for any of the show's hosts, and if it is, if it may be discussed how release from those resentments may be part of the host programs. And that's, you know, that was sort of um, an eye-opening question for me. Um, it's not something that is part of my experience. It's not something that I've thought about. Um, I have to, I've have had to work through forgiveness for for other things, and uh, but I, I guess I wanted to to read that to sort of throw the question out to our community um, that if you have some experience here that that might help our listener or might help his wife, uh, if you if you could share it, you can share it um, anonymously, um, and uh, I think we've done an episode on forgiveness, but it's always a good topic to come back to because it's such, such a difficult one, um, particularly when we feel extremely hurt. Um, so, um, I don't know, we don't really have uh, any significant podcast news here, except uh, that uh, we're planning to do um, our recording our next episode uh, Sunday afternoon, July 19th, uh, unless events intervene, which sometimes they do. It, uh, it doesn't cost you anything to listen to The Recovery Show. We do have expenses. They're currently running about $60 a month as, as our listenership grows. You can help to support us and keep us on the web and in your ear in a couple of ways. We do have a donation button on the website where you can support us directly, just like Spencer did. We have also put together a list of recovery-related books, and if you click on the books link at the top of the web page and order one of these books from Amazon through our website, we receive a small commission. In fact, anything you order from Amazon after you click through one of those links, uh, we get a little commission on that. And that has been helpful in, in helping to defray the hosting expenses that we currently have with Amazon. So kind of a, you know, they give, they take. Ooh. Um, in any case, uh, thank you for your support to in whatever form you give it, including just listening to us. We are here for you. Uh, Misha, how are we closing the show today? Uh, we're going to close the show with Enjoy the Silence by Depeche Mode. So I've heard this song for, I guess it's been 20 years now, and uh, I don't listen to a lot of words of songs. I just kind of sing. I'm more about the, the melody. But uh, this song, reading the lyrics, it definitely reminds me of relationships and conversations or communications gone wrong. Um, a, a couple of lyrics, uh, words like violence, break the silence, come crashing in, into my little world, painful to me, pierce right through me, can't you understand, oh my little girl, all I ever wanted, all I ever needed is here in my arms. Words are very unnecessary. They can only do harm. 
I, I have felt that. <laughs> I've definitely felt that. Uh, man, wanting someone for me, for me, I, I think about wanting someone, uh, in a relationship, uh, to understand, uh, to love me the way that I want them to. And me, as I talked about earlier, with my nagging and judgment and uh, <laughs> poor communication skills, um, I, I didn't help. Uh, I created more problems, more fights, uh, less intimacy, and felt, got to the point where I felt like I should just stop saying things. I should stop communicating, uh, and that in silence, like that was like the best place to be. Uh, so, uh, I'd be interested to know how other people view this song, but, uh, let's, uh, let's give a listen. Thank you for listening and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace grow in you one day at a time. Words like violence break the silence Come crashing in into my little world Painful to me, it's right through me Don't you understand? Oh